0: Hi ladies, welcome, welcome, welcome to Women in the Word. I'm Shelly Davis, I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team and I love Women in the Word. I love Women in the Word here, I love Women in the Word at South Campus and West Campus and downtown. We have seven venues every single week. I get to go to many of them and I love all of them. And because I get to go to all the different venues, I have the privilege and the joy of knowing so many of you that are out there, no matter where it is that Women in the Word is happening. And because I know many of you, it is going to be no surprise to those of you that know me when I say, I have a significant hearing loss. I had an illness when I was a child which significantly damaged my hearing. And I have had the blessing, and it is a blessing, of wearing hearing aids for decades and decades and decades. And I could actually tell you all sorts of comical stories about the misunderstandings and situations I've gotten myself in because of hearing loss. In fact, if the fire alarm goes off today, will someone come and get me? Because. <laughs> I'm gonna think you've all decided to go to lunch together uh, without me, so. um, But let me tell you what the real blessing of hearing loss is. Um, There's one great advantage, one great advantage. You can create your own quiet time wherever you are. (laughs) It doesn't matter if I am at the busiest airport in the world, or if I'm in a car with arguing, screaming children, um, I can have peace and calm. I just have to pop out those hearing aids or turn them off and the world is a great place. The world is a great place. And so my family has learned over the years that if they walk into a room and they begin to talk to me and I don't respond, that they need to poke on me and say, Do you have your ears in? And then I have to give up my peace and quiet and go get my hearing aids and uh, engage with them. Um, You know, for me, hearing is a conscious and constant effort. I have to be intentional in order to hear. Um, and as we finish up Jesus' words to these seven churches of the Revelation, we're gonna see that Jesus actually asks each one of us the same question that my family asked me. He says, do you have your ears in? And he uses these words with each one of these churches to ask that question. Look on your verse sheet at Revelation 2, 7. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches and jesus actually repeats these same words seven times in these last two chapters that we've looked at because what does he want from us he wants us to be constantly and consciously hearing his words he wants us to be intentional about the truth that he is speaking to us you know revelation actually isn't the first time that jesus has said those words he also uses it in the parables because in the gospels when he tells parables because he wants us to hear so that we can heed look at matthew 13 9 on your verse sheet. this is as jesus tells the parables he says to his audience he who has ears let him hear. You know, for Jesus, hearing truth is important because it's the beginning of life change for all of us. Our challenge as we finish up Jesus' words to these last three churches is we, we need to be women who have ears that hear and he, heed God's truth. You know, if we never hear the message that Jesus speaks to us from these words we're never going to change our lives, are we? So open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 3, and we are going to start reading Jesus' great words here in verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Um, you know, Sardis, and yes, pop the map up there for me, please, Sean. Sardis. Um, is 30 miles southeast of tharatara that we looked at last week it is on a major highway that runs east and west through the province of lydia Um, it's actually a pretty wealthy city but it's completely surrounded by idolatry it wherever sardis Um, The city of Sardis is completely infused with pagan worship. The temple of the pagan god Artemis is located in um, the city of Sardis. And Jesus begins his letter here to Sardis by introducing himself, just like he does, to all of the seven churches, and he presents himself here, we just read, with the seven spirits of God, which we know is the Holy Spirit, and the seven stars, which is the messengers to each one of these churches and what he's doing before he begins um, his rebuke of the church of sardis is he's establishing himself as the life the leadership and the authority of the church it belongs wholly and completely to him jesus is lord and the life-giving king over every church now what we're going to see here is that sardis is actually almost at the very bottom of jesus's list of churches only laodicea which we'll look at in a few minutes receives less praise than sardis but even though they're at the bottom of jesus's list they've made a name for themselves they have a reputation in the world unfortunately what their reputation is for is for their works now the word works here which jesus has used it um, with all the churches what the word works here it means is simply activity or labor or toil and the church at sardis had all those things they had activity they had labor they had projects and committees and meetings Um, they did work in the community that people recognized and knew um, it was that church their many community activities actually probably have some social value for the city of sardis but what they're lacking is spiritual truth. And the reason for that is this is a church that has made peace with all that idolatry that surrounds them. As they go about their works in the world, um, they're not confronting the idolatry that they come in contact with, with the truth. And certainly, they're not sharing Jesus with those who are involved in that idolatry. Jesus nails it here because he describes their work as incomplete. And the reason it's incomplete is they lack like the most important part of any true ministry activity that a church can be involved in. They lack like the truth of the gospel and they lack like the power of the Holy Spirit. The church, at Sardis in Jesus' eyes is dead because they've chosen mere works over witnessing to a lost world and they are definitely in the middle of a lost world but jesus is the life-giving authority to every church and he steps in you know throughout the scriptures we've seen um, god called the great physician and so we see jesus step in right here as the great physician he has a patient that's wheeled in with no heartbeat and on the way to the spiritual morgue and he begins by telling them to wake up it kind of reminds me of the uh, paramedics who have a patient that's semi-conscious what do you see them do they kind of pat their face and say stay with me stay with me that's what Jesus is doing because he wants Sardis to give him their conscious attention I don't know about you, but when my grandchildren, when I need to really get their attention, I say, look me in the eye. Okay, look me in the eye. That's what Jesus is doing here. He wants their conscious attention to what has happened to them. They're so apathetic, they don't realize they've become complacent with the idolatry that surrounds them. Next, after telling them to wake up, he tells the dying church that not all is lost. The fear, they need to strengthen what remains because there is a remnant in the church that still has a true heartbeat for the savior and it's time for them to go to the gym and work out their spiritual muscles here the remnant in this church can be strengthened it can be strengthened through the truth of the word of god if they'll return to that and it can be strengthened if they will be encouraged to share that truth even out there in the world that is filled with pagan worship he also gives them his own prescription um, as he helps them off the stretcher and back to strengthen their faith he gives them a prescription for doing what will help them look at verse 3 with me remember then what you have received and heard Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus writes out his prescription for his patient here. They must remember their salvation. They must take that encouragement from remembering their salvation and have it lead them into obedience and repentance. Um, You know, one of the things as women that I think all of us love to do is to get out that family album. That's so fun. I love to do it at my house. My grandchildren love to do it with me. But to look at those wedding pictures and um, birth pictures and graduations and birthdays, you know, and when we look at those pictures, it's an encouraging reminder to all of us, isn't it, of who we are where we came from, what our family really means for us. Jesus wants his dying church to remember the gospel. He wants them to take out that memory of his sacrifice on the cross for them and be humbled by it. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples at the Last Supper about remembering his sacrifice. Look at Luke 22, 19. He took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembering the sacrifice that our Lord Jesus has made for each one of us, his hope is that it will lead this dying church into obedience and repentance and will restore life and heartbeat to them. But he also tells them what's going to happen here if they don't choose to remember to wake up to obey to repent if they don't wake up from their zombie-like activity jesus warns them of his discipline he's going to come like a thief in the night to discipline those who just pull the covers up over their head and refuse to wake up And for the people of Sardis, that would actually ring a bell, because twice in the past history of their city, their apathy and carelessness and lack of vigilance had led their city to be overrun by both the the Persians and the Romans during the middle of the night when they least expected it. They understand what he's telling them here about coming in the thief the thief in the night, but for those who conquer their spiritual apathy for those who instead of pulling the covers up throw the covers back and strengthen their faith and their witness he promises an incredible reward here it's an intimate walk with jesus doesn't that sound like something we'd all like to have it's something we can actually all look forward to because he promises it to believers here an intimate walk with Jesus and we're going to be clothed in the most amazing white gowns and then as we walk with him closed in our clothed in our great white gowns he's going to call out our names. It's not gonna be to reporters or media microphones at an awards ceremony. What he's gonna be doing is calling out our names to the God of all the universe as we enter the throne room with Jesus himself. That is gonna be the ultimate red carpet moment, walking with Jesus clothed in white Having him be the one that confesses us before the God of all the universe. So let's put our ears in here too. We hear what he has said to the church at Sardis. What do we need to hear here? You know, Jesus is not just talking about bricks and mortar here as he's talking about a dead and a dying church. Is he? He's talking about people. He's talking about the people that sit in the pews of every church every single week. And so what he's really talking about here as he talks about whether a church is alive or dead is our collective heartbeat of faith because we're the ones, ladies, that deem whether a church is living or dying. So his wisdom that he gives here to the church at Sardis is really something we need to wake up and take um, account of as well. We must also Throw the covers back instead of pull the covers up. We must also strengthen our relationship with Jesus, and each of us knows what that means. Wherever we are in our walk today, what do we need to do to strengthen our relationship with Jesus? You know, just like the church at Sardis, we live in a pagan world too, don't we? We're totally surrounded by idolatry, whether it's out there on the streets of the city whether it comes to us moment by moment on our devices. And because of that idolatry that's out there, we can become apathetic about the truth of God's Word too, can't we? And we can be lazy about sharing the gospel. We can be in a hurry. I told the small group leaders this morning, there have been so many times I've gotten in my car after being in a situation and thought, oh, why didn't I share that verse? Why didn't I take a moment just to stop and enter into that conversation with a spiritual, um, spiritual content? Instead, I looked at my watch and grabbed my car keys and zoomed right out the door. We can't be lazy with sharing the gospel with the world around us. His prescription for us is the same as the church at sardis we have to remember who he is that's where we start remembering his sacrifice for us and that will lead us to um, a real joy in his word and a repentance of any idolatry that creeps into our life from the world out there I'd encourage all of you, and many of you may have already done this, but if you haven't done it, take a minute and in your journal or on your computer at home, write down your faith story. Write down your salvation story of how you first encountered Jesus. I mean, maybe it was just when you were three years old and your parents took you to church every week and there wasn't that one moment, but it may have been that one moment. Write it down, because it's going to encourage you. It's going to encourage you to be a bold witness in the world when you think about, I heard it, I heeded it, I want that for someone else as well. And you know what? Then, once you've written down your own story, you're going to be a bold witness in the world because you can simply tell your own story. It's got all the elements in there of, the sacrifice on the cross, obedience to the word, and of course, a changed life. Jesus wants us to hear and heed his truth. Okay, let's read a little bit more. Let's look at Philadelphia, verse 7 in your um, Bible. And to the um, angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? The words of the Holy One, the true One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, but you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, Philadelphia, pop that map up there again for me. Philadelphia is about 30 miles southeast of Sardis. And this is actually an agricultural region. And it was a, a part of... Um, this province that was actually plagued by earthquakes and it had been destroyed over and over again by earthquakes. Jesus takes the time here to introduce himself to the church at Philadelphia. He calls himself the holy and true God, the embodiment of the truth. And he holds the key to every door in this life and the next. In other words, he tells the church at Philadelphia, he is the sovereign Lord of the church. And then he starts his um, encouragement uh, to Philadelphia, just like he started his letter to the church at Sardis. He knows their works, their labor, their toil. But there's a big difference between the church at Sardis and the church at Philadelphia. Sardis was almost at the very bottom of his list and philadelphia is at the top jesus has nothing but commendation and praise here for the church at philadelphia he never rebukes them in all of this letter he knows their spiritual condition and what he sees when he looks at them is their faithfulness their loyalty their truth they are not only guarding the truth but they're doing what the church at Sardis refused to do. They are out there in another very pagan city in the world and they are witnessing. They are witnessing to the pagan world around them. They have the truth and they're gonna give it away. Um, Jesus's words here, I love this uh, thought, uh, what he says here to the Philadelphians because they should be an encouragement to us as well because it reminds us just as he sees the witnessing that the church at Philadelphia is doing, he sees our bold faith as well. Whenever you have the opportunity to stop and share, whether it's someone you um, have known for a long time or someone you just bump into in the grocery store, Jesus sees that. Jesus sees when we are faithful in sharing the truth in a world that hates him. And because of their faithful witness to the truth, he's giving them an open door to ministry here. Philadelphia actually set at a pretty strategic crossroads to the east. So the witness of this small church really had the opportunity to influence um, different cultures, different um, Uh, languages and spread the gospel eastward across the world that had never heard of him and that's an example of the truth that it doesn't take money or power or size for a church to change the world it just takes the truth of the gospel that's really all they had was the truth of the gospel and the power that Jesus has to open every door for a church that is faithful and true witness for him. Okay, look at verse nine with me. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who says they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming in the world to try those who dwell on the earth I am coming soon. Hold fast for what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches um okay so jesus loves this church he loves this church and he makes several great promises to this church that loves him and is a pretty powerful witness um, in the world about him and the first promise he makes is that he is going to humble and defeat anyone who works against their witness and work in the world um you know there is nothing more discouraging when you finally get up the courage to invite those ladies you work with to a bible study at lunch and and your boss closes the door to you having a space or being able to do that or that you encourage your children in school to have a faithful witness and then they're called on the carpet because they've tried to share their faith in school maybe it's something as simple as you keep trying to invite your neighbor to church and every time they see you they run into the house quickly Um, Those things are so discouraging because you get excited about um, sharing the truth. But Jesus gives us a promise here that he's at work when he gives us an opportunity. He's gonna defeat and humble those who oppose the truth. And then one day, one day in eternity they are going to see his great love for us and this was a great lesson for me that i took out of this passage opposition to the truth is going to be handled by god himself i don't have to make sure that um, everything is cleared the way all i have to do is be bold enough to witness and opposition to my witness about our Lord Jesus Christ is going to be handled by God himself there's another great promise in these verses and we see that Jesus promises this church that they are going to be protected from the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on the whole world during the tribulation and what Jesus is pointing to here is the rapture of the church now Later on, you may wanna get out that Revelation timeline we gave you and look at it because right before that seven-year tribulation, it shows that Jesus is rapturing believers. He's rapturing his church. That's what he's telling the church at Philadelphia right here. And it's a message of hope for them that he has the power and the love and the desire to take them out of the world before the tribulation began. But it's also a message of hope for us because he's speaking here to our church and to our uh, to believers throughout the ages being kept from this hour of trial that Jesus promises here is the rapture of the church that Paul describes for us. He tells, Paul tells us what it actually looks like in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 on your verse sheet. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And Jesus is pointing to that right here as he talks to the church at Philadelphia, and he tells them, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon. Now, the word soon here, we have a tendency to take it in a measurement of days or weeks or hours or months, um, but actually, that's not the word, what the word means here. What the word means is quickly, quickly, suddenly when he appears it's gonna be quick and sudden unexpected and because of that what he wants from the church at Philadelphia is to hold fast to what they have hold fast to what they have and what they have is a commitment to the truth a faithful and dedicated witness and an open door to ministry you know there's not going to be time once Jesus appears for all of us at the rapture to say, okay, wait a minute. I really was gonna witness to my neighbor next door. So if you'll just hold that thought for a minute, Jesus, I'm gonna run next door and tell them. Or maybe you say to yourself, I'm gonna start a spiritual discipline or do um, another study. So Jesus, just give me a couple of more weeks and my faith is gonna be further along than it is now. You know, Jesus um, is sharing with the church at Philadelphia keep what you've got now keep doing it don't let go of it until i return for you he also exhorts them to hold fast because he wants them to continue so that their reward in heaven is going to be great i don't know how many of you have already been to the rodeo this year or have been in years past but my favorite rodeo event is the calf scramble it's where the uh young teenagers the 4h teenagers have an opportunity to um win a calf so that they can raise it and sell it uh down the road uh, and it's pretty profitable but what they have to do is they have to stand in this arena and then in a circle and then the calves are released and they run out and try to uh, get a calf and hold on to it until they can get it in the center of the ring, and they have won that prize. Now, it always surprises me when I watch this about which teenagers manage to actually grab that freaked out calf and then hold on to it, because it's a pretty big animal. It's not like a little calf. It's like, A big calf Um, and sometimes you know I try to pick out my family we try to pick out who we think is actually gonna be able to get a calf and you always think that big burly boy that is big enough to hold on to the calf but you know what sometimes it's that tenacious determined 85 pound little girl that wrestles and holds fast to this 200 pound calf Um, Jesus gives this church the same wisdom that I would give those little girls in the calf scramble. Be tenacious and determined. Do not walk away once you have grabbed hold of your love for the truth and for your witness, your opportunity. Hold fast to your faith because I have a reward for you, he promises us. And his reward is big. It's not only a crown, which he tells us here, and we all love crowns, so we're all hoping to get that crown, but it is the security and safety and permanence of a heavenly home in New Jerusalem. You know, Philadelphia is a city that has been destroyed by earthquakes over and over again. So the church at Philadelphia, they're gonna rejoice at the thought of a permanent, secure unshakable home in God's city forever. So when we put our ears on today after thinking about the church at Philadelphia, his message to us is the same. Hold fast. He's coming soon. We're not going to have a chance to say, wait just a minute. I'm going to get my faith house in order. Hold fast to the truth. And our witness never put it down or walk away from it. Be determined, be tenacious. You know, what Jesus loves about this church is not their size, not their prominence, not their razzle-dazzle worship. What he loves is that they have kept the truth and proclaimed the gospel in a pagan world, just like our world. And then he does the rest. Jesus does the rest. He gives them an open door, to uh, share their witness he gives them protection from those who oppose him he gives them a future home in an unshakable city All that is ours as well when we hold fast to the truth and our witness for Jesus because he's coming soon soon Okay, we have one more church to look at. In these seven, we're going to look at Laodicea. Look at verse 14 with me. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. They are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Okay, so Philadelphia, pop that map up there again, Sean. Philadelphia, I mean, Laodicea was 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia on the map. It actually is on the road um, to Colossae, and it is a super- crazy, wealthy city that is known for its outstanding wool cloth. And I read that most of this wool cloth was for some reason which i never found out the reason for that but it was world renowned known for this wool cloth and in fact um it was also known for its self-sufficiency it was a very self-sufficient city Uh, when it was destroyed totally destroyed by an earthquake in 60 a.d the surrounding cities offered to come in and help like we do with relief supplies laodicea said nope no, thank you. We don't need that. We got it covered here, and they refused any help to rebuild. The church in Laodicea was actually a really well-established and well-known church. Uh, Paul, There's no record that Paul actually visited the church at Laodicea, but we do know that he was concerned and interested in somewhat involved in the church at Laodicea because he mentions it in his letter to the Colossians. And in fact, the Laodiceans probably had a copy of Paul's letter to the Colossians and had read it. So as Jesus introduces himself here to the Laodiceans, he calls himself the Amen, which means so be it. Um, And what it reminds us of is the sovereignty of God because with God, it will be so be it he also calls himself the faithful and true witness which we will see is actually the opposite of the laodicean church they do not have a faithful and true witness and he's the beginning of god's creation so before he begins his complete and total rebuke of the church at laodicea he fully establishes his right to do so he is creator of all ruler of all, a true and faithful witness of all. Jesus is the Amen. He is the Amen. And Jesus begins here by telling us he sees the work of the Laodiceans as well, but he doesn't like what he sees. There is not, as I said, one word of approval here. He describes their love for God, their ministry, their witness in the world as lukewarm. Um, And the Laodiceans would understand what he's talking about when he calls the ministry lukewarm. The neighboring town of Hierapolis actually had this incredible hot spring that was used for medical purposes. And people would travel to Hierapolis to Uh, take part in their hot springs and then Colossae was known for its cool refreshing spring water that people would come to for a refreshing drink all the Laodiceans had was a lukewarm water source that neither healed nor refreshed and that's how Jesus describes their faith their faith neither heals nor refreshes. In fact, their faith was so undesirable that we see here, he describes spitting it out of his mouth. Um, More graphically, what he really means here, what he's saying to them is, you make me sick. You make me sick. None of us like lukewarm beverages or lukewarm food, do we? But Jesus of course, is not talking about what we eat or drink. He's talking about the spiritual condition of the church and the hearts of the people that make up the church. Lukewarm for Jesus, when he's talking about a spiritual condition, means half-hearted, kind of indifferent to the things of God and to the truth of God. It's an outward religion, but there's really no inward heart change. There's no fruit you know, and a lot of us know people that profess Jesus, but we think, where is the fruit in their lives? And it's always something we can ask of ourselves as well: where is the fruit of their life in their lives? You know, it um, half-hearted worship um, means sitting in the pews to satisfy your own heart. It makes you happy to come to church every week, but you're not really thinking about whether your worship. Warms the heart of God or not. You're not really concerned about anyone but yourself. Theologian John Walverd said this about the church at Laodicea. I thought this was insightful. He says, Apparently, being half hearted and indifferent to the things of Christ is sin enough to make a church intolerable to God. Intolerable to God how sad is that that there would be a church that was intolerable to our God and then Jesus tells us how they got to that point a um, well-known busy church how did they get to the point of being intolerable to God look at verse 17 with me for you say I am rich I have prospered and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. What he's saying to them is, you is, you're self-indulgent. You're all about yourself. You sit in the pews because of yourself. You do work because of yourself. You're self-reliant, very proud. The truth is they were rich and prosperous. They needed nothing. They needed no one. You know, having wealth and resources in the church should always be a blessing, not a problem. But it becomes a problem when the source of your strength as a church and the focus of your attention and worship is yourself. It's yourself and what you can do out in the world yourself. Outwardly, the Laodiceans were a very finely dressed congregation, but Jesus calls them out here as wretched. He's not looking at their outward finery. He says they're pitiable even in their outward finery. They're poor, blind, and finally, he calls them naked, even though they're probably the best dressed uh, congregation that uh, in their Um, world. They had material riches, but they were spiritually bankrupt, and that is what he's looking at. And Jesus gives them some interesting advice here. He tells them to go shopping. Um, It's probably something they do well, given their level of prosperity and self-reliance, but he doesn't send them to Amazon or even down to the local market, because what they need are spiritual necessities that only he can give them. Look at verse 18 with me. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness and may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you see. So here's his shopping list for the Laodiceans. And the first thing he wants them to buy is something he calls refined gold. And refined gold here symbolizes the pure spiritual riches that come into our lives when we are walking intimately with the Savior through testing, suffering, and trials in our life. Um, Look at Zechariah 13.9 on your verse sheet and I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them and I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. The worldly riches of the Laodiceans kept them from calling out to God. They didn't need him. They didn't need him anything that came into their lives they were willing to solve through their own self-sufficiency or their own wealth you know nothing makes us put down our own self-reliance and cling to the savior like trials and suffering i can't tell you how many times i've walked along beside um, one of our women who've been through some really difficult times in their life and they'll say to me I've never felt the Lord more. I've never learned more about the Lord than during this horrible time of suffering in my life. That is the refined gold that our Lord Jesus wants them to have. The other thing Jesus offers them here is a new wardrobe, the white garments of his own righteousness to cover their nakedness. They are spiritually naked. He wants them to be clothed in his righteousness. He wants them to replace their focus on their outward appearance with the truth of what he has done for them. Um, You know, it never matters what we're wearing on the outside. As much as it matters what we're wearing on the inside, what our heart looks like. And Jesus knows that it's his blood that is going to buy them white garments that they're going to wear to the marriage supper of the lamb. It's a gracious and generous trade. His selfless sacrifice for their self-reliance. I think we should all take part in that generous and gracious trade look at second corinthians 5 21 on your verse sheet for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god and the final thing that jesus wants them to have from him is eyes that see the truth. Now, the Laodiceans were known for their medical school. It was apparently very prominent, and they also had an eye salve that was used to treat um, a lot of eye conditions that were found in their part of the country. Jesus is not worried about their medical condition, but he wants them to have the spiritual sight that comes from his truth and his spirit. Look at what the psalmist says about spiritual sight in Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. That's what Jesus wants for this lukewarm church. Open their eyes that they might see. Let's finish, we have a couple more verses here. Look at verse 19 with me. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent, behold. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, You know, if we love our children, we discipline them, don't we? Um, And hopefully we discipline them out of love, not just out of frustration or anger. And when we discipline, what's our hope? Our hope is, that their behavior will change. But what we really hope and pray for um, with our children is that their hearts would change. And Jesus has the same motives here. He loves this lukewarm church, even though they are not doing anything that he wants them to do. He loves them. And so he disciplines them, and his hope is that his discipline will lead them to a heart change. He wants them to have that heart change that comes out of earnest repentance, earnestly repenting of their self-reliance, their self-indulgence, their pride, and to the realization as they repent that their idea of a successful church is not the same idea as his. A great church is never one that thrives through its own wealth and worldly influence. A great church is one that thrives simply because it's dependent on our Lord Jesus Christ. He'll offer everything else that a church needs. You know, Jesus offers the Laodiceans the tough love of discipline in hopes that they will repent. Now, verse 20, um, as Jesus knocks on the door here, is sometimes taken out of context. We often hear this knock on the door and, open the door to Jesus um, as an appeal to unbelievers. Um, but if what I love about it is the context that it's in because in this context, it is a great example of Jesus boldly challenging the independent spirit of the Laodiceans as he knocks at their door. Hearing Jesus and then actually opening the door to him is going to require them to put aside their self-reliance and their pride. You can imagine as he knock, knock, knocks on the door that in their self-reliance, they might look out the window and say, oh, it's just Jesus. I've got my list today. I've really already made my phone calls. I've got most of it done. Um, I don't really need Jesus today. Um, This verse here is an appeal to believers in this church and certainly a appeal to all of us who keep christ on the outside of their lives he's offering the laodiceans here an opportunity for them to exchange their lists and their self-reliance and their agenda for an intimate fellowship with him for time with him for his leadership for his wisdom for his power his direction Um, And for those who do open the door when Jesus knocks, he's going to offer an amazing future. And he describes it here. It's better than the publisher's clearinghouse that's on every commercial these days. Um, If you open the door to Jesus, he says to the Laodiceans, and let me come in and be part of your lives, open your life to me, then you're going to reign with me in my future kingdom what an amazing future that is uh you're gonna share his victory God's mercy is amazing even to the church at Laodicea that is last on his list he mercifully offers them fellowship and a chance to reign with him he pursues the Laodiceans in spite of their indifference to him and then he offers them a seat on the throne with the king You know the laodiceans definitely need to hear this message but we need to hear it as well because it's so easy to pin self-reliance self-focus and pride just on that one church it's the same thing that i do when i sit and hear the sermon on Sunday morning, and I think, my husband needs to hear that. My um, sister needs to hear that. My um, son needs to hear that. Um, But we need to take a careful look at our own hearts this morning as we put our eyes in, because there are seasons in most of our lives when we're lukewarm, aren't there? When we do ministry in our own strength, with our own resources instead of the spiritual riches that are ours from the Savior. There are seasons in our life when we earnestly need to repent of leaving Christ out there on the outside of our lives because we don't open the door to him in our marriages, in our parenting, in our workplace, in our ministry. We must be earnest and repent if we're truthful to ourselves of our own self-reliance and self-focus and pride. And when we do, we're gonna hear that knock on the door, aren't we? And we're not going to just shuffle over there. We're gonna race to that door and throw it open and be so excited to share a meal and intimate fellowship with him. What a great, great place to be, having Jesus come in and eat with you. Now, Jesus, as we finish up today, has given us a remarkable picture, hasn't he, of the challenges that churches face as we've looked at these seven churches. They face, um, churches in the world face losing their love for him. They face suffering, tolerance, apathy, self-reliance, and pride. But Jesus wants every church and all of us that sit in the pews of all those churches to really hear him, to put our ears in and hear his truth so that we can overcome those challenges in our churches and in our lives. Let's be those women who have ears to hear. Pray with me. Father, you are um, gracious and good. You are certainly... um, an amazing God that it willingly shares your truth with us. Father, I pray that we would um, be women that hear every single word of truth, that strive to understand it, and then we heed it through your power and your great fellowship with us. Father, I thank you for these women that are here today. I pray that you would put your hand of favor and blessing on them. And I pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.